I've said it before and I'll say it again. Just because you can do something or you think you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should because things can escalate a lot quicker than you anticipate. The jury has now spoken. So what were the defendants convicted of and what happens next? Well, you're about to find out. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we are going to take a look at the Ahmad Arbery jury trial that just wrapped up in Georgia. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the incident to examine exactly what happened that day. We're going to take a look at several relevant issues with Georgia's state laws. We're going to look at the open carry rules. We're going to look at stand your ground laws when you can use deadly force in self-defense and rules regarding making a citizen's arrest. Then we're going to look at the specific charges that were filed and how the jury ruled on each one. Finally, we're going to look at the scandals or some of the weird things that happened with this trial, some of the oddities that you just don't normally see with a jury trial in the United States. We'll talk about those. And last but not least, we're going to talk about what happens next at sentencing for these three defendants. If you enjoy the episode, hit that like button for me. If you got something to say, put it in the comment section below. Did the jury get it right? If not, what do you think should have happened? If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do so now. And as always, I love it when you guys share me on social media. Remember that all of our episodes are available on the major podcast outlets, and we also got merch. So if you want to support the channel and be a part of Lawyer Up Nation, you can find the link in the description below. So first, let's talk about the location of where this happened. The trial for the three men charged with killing Ahmad Arbery took place in November of 2021 in Glen County, Georgia. Now, Glenn County is located in the southeastern part of the state on the Atlantic Ocean. The county has a population of 85,000, and it has been referred to as a blue-collar port city. So who was Ahmad Arbery? Well, he was a 25-year-old black man who was born and raised around Brunswick, Georgia, which is in Glenn County. At Brunswick High School, Arbery was a star football player known for his speed. Now, he did not live in the neighborhood where he was shot, but it wasn't uncommon for him to be in that neighborhood. Arbery had a modest criminal record, which included an improper gun possession charge from 2013, and he was on probation at the time of his death for trying to steal a TV from Walmart. Interestingly, the jury did not know about any criminal history of Arbery because the judge deemed that irrelevant. So who are the defendants? Gregory McMichael, 65 years of age, is a former law enforcement officer who also used to work as an investigator for the local district attorney's office. He lived in Satilla Shores, the neighborhood at issue, and he is the father of co-defendant Travis McMichael. Travis McMichael, 35, was the shooter in this incident. He had previously served in the Coast Guard as a mechanic and was trained in search and rescue, also had some training in law enforcement. He was living with his dad at the time of the incident, 
It was his truck that was used to chase Arbery through the neighborhood and his shotgun that was used to kill him. William Roddy Bryan, aged 52, was a neighbor of the McMichael family. He drove the second truck that was used in tandem with McMichael's truck to repeatedly box Arbery in. The cell phone video that Brian filmed himself of the incident is actually what primarily led to the charges being filed in the case. So the backstory to all of this is that the defendants all live in Satilla Shores, a neighborhood in Glenn County, Georgia. Ahmad Arbery did not live in that neighborhood. Prior to February 23rd of 2020, the neighborhood had a series of thefts and there was a photograph of a suspect that had been circulated on local Facebook pages. The suspect was a black man of slender build and about 5'10", very similar looking to Ahmad Arbery. So on February 23rd of 2020, it was alleged that Arbery was out for a run, albeit several miles from home in khakis and without any socks. And during his jog, he entered the Satilla Shores subdivision. He had been in that neighborhood before, and the McMichaels told investigators they had seen him in that neighborhood prior to that date. Now, during his jog, he left the roadway and went into a home that was under construction in the subdivision. The home is owned by a Larry English who after a theft at that location had set up a motion activated surveillance camera. He testified and they showed surveillance footage at trial that captured Arbery walking around inside this home on numerous occasions, not just on February 23rd, but that he had never taken anything from that site. Surveillance footage from the day of the shooting from the home again showed Arbery walking around inside looking around and then leaving, taking nothing with him. So the testimony was that Greg McMichael sees Arbery walking out of this construction site and then he starts running down the street. With Arbery looking similar to the picture of the suspect he had seen on Facebook and then seeing him take off in a run, he assumed that Arbery was up to no good. So Greg McMichael grabs his pistol, alerts his son Travis, who was living there at the time, who gets his shotgun, and then they get into Travis's truck. Travis McMichael and his father Gregory then chase after Arbery in the truck based upon what they described as a duty to protect the neighborhood they lived in. At this time, a neighbor called the police. Another neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, would join in the chase with his own vehicle and recorded the encounter on his cell phone as they followed Arbery for approximately five minutes before he stopped. During this time, Greg McMichael calls 911 himself to report, quote, a black man running down the street, believing that Arbery was the potential suspect in the string of thefts in the neighborhood. Greg also supposedly asked Arbery what he was doing in the neighborhood to which Arbery did not respond. Travis McMichael then blocks the roadway with his truck, grabs his shotgun and gets out of the vehicle. He is standing near the front of the vehicle on the driver's side. 
Dad also gets out and is standing in the back of the pickup. They both turn and face Arberry, who is a ways back, but he's still running up towards the truck. As Arberry runs up to the back of the truck, he continues along the passenger side of the vehicle, and then instead of continuing down the road, he hooks around the front of the vehicle at 90 degrees and runs directly for Travis McMichael. The video then shows Arbery grabbing McMichael's shotgun. A shot is fired that misses. A scuffle ensues with Arbery punching McMichael as he was trying to grab his gun. McMichael then fires multiple rounds, hitting Arbery in the chest at close range. He would die at the scene due to massive injuries, according to the medical examiner. An investigator would testify that he heard Travis McMichael using a racial slur as Arbery lay dying. That's an allegation that both the McMichaels have denied. Then nothing. Basically nothing happened for two and a half months before anybody was charged in connection with this crime. And they were only charged with murder after the video of the shooting became public. So those are the basic facts. So now let's look at some of the major legal issues. Georgia is an open carry state when it comes to long guns like the one that was used in this case, a shotgun. In fact, if it's loaded, you have to open carry a long gun in Georgia. You need a permit to open carry or conceal carry a pistol. What this means is that you can openly carry a shotgun, like the one used in this case, unless you are prohibited from possessing a weapon, uh, like you're a convicted felon or someone under an order of protection, or unless the location would restrict open carry like in a government building, a school, or an airport. In this case, both of the McMichaels had permits, the shotgun was not concealed, and they were not otherwise prohibited from possessing a firearm. So there were no gun law violations in regarding to their possession of the firearms in this case. Next, everyone has the right to defend themselves with reasonable force. But in order to use deadly force in defense of a person, you have to be facing imminent death or serious bodily harm. You can't use deadly force to protect property. It has to be human life. Further, you can't provoke the encounter that you are defending yourself against. For example, I can't slap you, and then when you go to punch me back, shoot you and claim self-defense. This is particularly important in this case because the prosecution alleged that the defendants provoked the situation and therefore lost the right to argue self-defense. Now let's talk about citizens' arrest laws. The defense argued that the three men were not disqualified as being the initial aggressors because they were within their legal rights to make a citizen's arrest. Now, most states have citizen's arrest laws, and they vary greatly depending upon whether the offense was committed in the person's presence, whether it's a misdemeanor versus a felony, and then the degree of force that can be used in detention. Unfortunately, Georgia's citizen's arrest laws were ancient, dating back to the Civil War. Now, since this incident, Georgia lawmakers have updated the law but the one in place at the time of the shooting was super vague. It reads, and I quote, a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. If the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, a private person may arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. 
Now that's pretty vague. The prosecutor alleged that in order to affect a citizen's arrest, that the arrestee must have committed a felony, which Arbery did not do in this case. Now, the defense argued that the prosecution mischaracterized the law because a citizen can arrest someone for a misdemeanor, such as a trespass, if the offense happened in their presence. So that's a legal issue. That is something the judge needs to rule on. What is the law? Well, in this case, he didn't. He simply stated that the statute would be given to the jury, which is odd and probably reversible error on appeal. You will definitely see that issue raised in a motion for a new trial and on appeal, because depending upon who is right on that legal issue really controls whether the defendant had the right to arrest Arbery at all. It is a big, big deal that the judge just left the jury to grapple with. Defense attorney Franklin Hogue argued that, quote, they got in the truck to pursue Mr. Arbery for the purpose of detaining him long enough for the police to arrive to take over and investigate whether, in fact, he had committed any crimes. He stated that, quote, Arbery turned the situation from a citizen's arrest into a self-defense situation. Further, Georgia is also a stand-your-ground state, meaning that an individual has no duty to retreat from an encounter before using deadly force, regardless of where he may be. Some states limit stand-your-ground rules to one's home, auto, or business under the Castle Doctrine. Not so in Georgia. You can stand your ground wherever you have a lawful right to be, and you can defend yourself with deadly force if you are facing imminent death or serious bodily harm. So, understanding these general concepts, let's look at these specific charges that were filed. And these charges were filed in state court. This was in Glenn County, Georgia. All three defendants were charged with malice murder which is akin to first-degree murder in most states. It's punishable by life in prison. These men were also charged with multiple counts of felony murder. Now, felony murder applies when an offender is engaged in some other dangerous felony and someone is killed. Felony murder allows a prosecutor to charge everyone in the group that engaged in the dangerous felony with murder, even if they had no intent to kill. This is what I call the getaway driver charge. He wasn't in the bank, he didn't pull the trigger, but the getaway driver was part of the group that engaged in the dangerous activity of bank robbery. So they all get charged with felony murder when the bank guard is shot and killed during the heist. So in this case, even though Brian was bringing up the rear and videotaping the event, he is also charged with felony murder. Now the specific dangerous felonies at issue are alleged in other counts of the indictment and consist of aggravated assault for shooting Arbery, aggravated assault for hitting Arbery with their truck, false imprisonment, and attempted false imprisonment for detaining him without just cause. The men all face up to life in prison for these charges. And those are the state court charges. There are also charges at the federal level. The three defendants are facing federal hate crime charges. The Justice Department returned an indictment alleging that the men used force and threats to intimidate and interfere with Arbery's right to use a public street because of his race. It is also alleged that all three defendants attempted to unlawfully seize, confine, and detain Arbery against his will. 
The trial in the federal case is scheduled to begin on February 7th of 2022. So they face those charges as well. Now let's talk about some of the arguments at trial. The prosecutors called 23 witnesses over eight days of testimony saying that the defendants acted on assumptions rather than evidence. Travis McMichael actually took the stand in his own defense, testifying that he had heard about break-ins in the neighborhood and had previously seen a black man lurking and creeping around the house that was under construction. He stated that his father spotted Arbery on February 23rd. They decided to drive up alongside him and question him. Travis McMichael acknowledged under cross-examination that Arbery did not threaten him, but as the confrontation escalated, McMichael said that he was forced to make a split-second life-or-death decision. The prosecution countered that the defendants took the law into their own hands and they lost the ability to claim self-defense since they instigated the encounter. The defense replied that the men were well within their rights to effect a citizen's arrest and therefore could not be considered an instigator for the purposes of losing the right to self-defense. So now let's talk about the scandals or the oddities that occurred in connection with this trial. Number one, Gregory McMichael was a former deputy and then worked as an investigator for the local district attorney's office which led to three prosecutors from that office recusing themselves before trial. And in September of 2021, a former district attorney, Jackie Johnson, was indicted on charges of violating her oath of office and obstructing justice for her conduct in this case. The indictment said that Johnson failed to, quote, treat Ahmad Arbery and his family fairly by using her past work relationship with Gregory McMichael as motivation to shield the men from charges. The Georgia Attorney General's office thereafter assigned the Cobb County District Attorney to prosecute the case. Number two, the jury consisted of one black juror and 11 white jurors. State prosecutors objected, arguing that several potential black jurors were cut because of their race. The judge even conceded that, quote, intentional discrimination by the defense attorneys appeared to have shaped the jury's selection. But since those attorneys were able to articulate non-racial reasons for striking jurors, his authority to intervene was limited under Georgia law. And that seems odd, but in a criminal trial, the defendant gets a handful of strikes that they can use to strike a juror for any reason other than a constitutionally protected reason. So you can't strike a juror because they're black or because they're a woman or because they're Jewish. But it's easy to sidestep those constitutional grounds because you can just say, well, I didn't strike the juror because he was black. I struck him because I didn't like the way he looked at me. And that's perfectly acceptable. And when you have three defendants, they all get to make these types of strikes. So that's how you can wind up with a jury that has only one black person on it, even though the jury pool itself was 25% black. Number three, an attorney for one of the defendants also made requests that Reverends Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson be removed from the courtroom, stating that their presence would influence the jury. Odd. 
The request was denied by the judge. So ultimately, the jury came back with a verdict. Now, each of the three defendants was facing nine counts. In regard to Travis McMichael, he was found guilty on all nine, including malice murder or the equivalent of first-degree murder. He will be facing a life sentence. Now, Gregory McMichael, dad, he was not guilty of malice murder, but he was guilty on all of the rest of the counts, including felony murder, and he will face up to a life sentence. Finally, William Roddy Bryan, again, acquitted of malice murder, but he was found guilty of felony murder amongst other charges and will also face up to a life sentence. Now, the date of sentencing has not been set. There'll be time for the attorneys to file post-trial motions, as well as preparing for sentencing. Any appeal only happens after the defendants are sentenced, and you can expect an appeal in this case almost assuredly. Well, that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, smash that like button for me. If you got something to say, put it in the comment sections below. Did the jury get it right? Did they get it wrong? Let me know. If you haven't subscribed to the channel, what are you waiting for? Smash that subscribe button for me. And you guys know it. I love it when you share me on social media. That's all for today. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money.